Hi, I'm Thomas Winstanley. I'm the Director of Marketing for Theory Wellness, a vertically integrated cannabis brand in Massachusetts, and I'm here on the Big Mouth Pharmacist podcast. My biggest pet peeve is that the cannabis industry is filled with a bunch of lazy stoners. For the most part, we are anything but that. We are some of the hardest working people that I've met in any industry or any vertical. Especially within the cannabis industry, there is a lot of competition. There is a lot of market share and it's a street fight to get to the top. And we are very much driven to be an industry leader here. So we are stoners in certain ways, but we are very much hardworking professionals. And that takes precedent over the work we do. Welcome to the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. I'm Neil. I'm the Big Mouth Pharmacist. I'm a pretty sarcastic, slightly unprofessional healthcare professional, a holistic pharmacist here to talk about everything wellness, weed, and Woodstock. We broadcast from the most famous small town in America, where I hold court as the town's family pharmacist who tries to get people off their medicines and onto a wellness program free of the BS and misinformation of the natural products industry. Hey everybody, it's me, Dr. Neil Smoller, holistic pharmacist, with a little bit of weed on my mind. Last week, we spoke, of course, with celebrity chef Rick Orlando about cooking with marijuana, and this week, we're actually talking to an insider of one of the newest dispensaries in Massachusetts. I didn't really know how I was going to make this play here with our mission at the Big Mouth Pharmacist, but I quickly found an angle. What are the myths and misinformation about the weed business itself? And how can I help dispel any myths or misinformation about a trip to the dispensary to help people overcome their fears on making their first trip into a dispensary? And my guest, he's here to help us. So Thomas Winstanley is the Director of Marketing for Theory Wellness, which is a small batch craft cannabis company in Massachusetts. He grew up in the Berkshires, and that's where their first recreational dispensary is located. And Thomas has been crucial in helping usher in the legal sales of cannabis within the company. And now, less than a year into the legal market, he's here with me, and he's going to share his thoughts about his approach to legal cannabis, the road ahead in the industry, and and the economics and financial. He's going to help me address these myths and misinformation. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I want to address the myths and misinformation around the the weed space, and I want to really give my listeners here some like inside baseball. You know, I yeah. think that there's a lot of myths and misinformation around the business of marijuana. So I feel like you guys could give some insight without giving away too many secrets. Um, so why don't you tell me? I guess one of the biggest myths that uh, people uh, kind of present to you that you always have to debunk about the weed business or your weed business? Sure. So, I mean, I think right now cannabis seems to be a topic of conversations across many different, you know, uh, many different verticals when it's from investment to moving into your county. And I think what people are starting to see are big numbers and to starting to see these big venture capital, private equity companies coming in and this big dollar, big dollar signs around pretty much everything that we do. Um, and while in a certain way, that's, that's definitely true. We are an emerging market. This is somewhat of a new age prohibition um, that is very unprecedented. Mm-hmm. However, it's not always as easy as many people would expect it to be. So everything from, you know, first and foremost, it's a really long road to get into market. Um, yeah. The startup costs, it's a high risk, high reward game. Um, the ability to actually get to market is a very long road that is very expensive. And then once you actually open up and if you get through that phase one, 
as soon as you start selling cannabis products, you know, legally, then you're strapped with a bunch of different tax codes. You know, probably the most notable is something called the, you know, code section 280E, which is a federal statute um, that basically is a tax bracket that is, uh, was created for people who are trafficking or selling Schedule 1 or 2 controlled substances. Right, so illegal stuff. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, we're barred from taking any tax deductions or credits on the cost of our goods, the marketing expenses. You know, we are taxed on the total sales of all of our products. And so because of all of this, that's pretty nuts that just so everybody nuts. understands like how insane that <laughs> is, like, you know, if you have a business that you make $10 million in a year, um, but it costs you nine and a half million dollars to just pay for the say drugs that are moving through your, whether it's pharmaceutical or weed moving through your business, that means you're only making about $50,000 and that's what would be taxed at the end of the day. And in this situation, they're saying that you're getting taxed on 10 million. So then that's a huge, you know, totally a, a third of that. So I guess that, you know, it sounds to me like the big myth here is how much money everybody makes. And it obviously like, you guys, you're not going to get much sympathy from everybody. I feel like the you sure. know the the Woody Harrelson gif of like him crying into the hundred dollar bills. Like I feel like <laughs> that's going to be the the big thing here. Um, but but it is interesting to hear that it's not like you're just printing money and then right. it's like you know you've got a Bentley and and you're ready to rock. But yeah, I mean, and I think it's like you know it's. Obviously, it's a. This is something that is a really prohibitive area. But I think as the market starts to change and evolve, and this kind of stigma around cannabis comes down, and we start looking at reclassifying cannabis not as a class one substance, but maybe as a class three substance, you know, I think we'll start to see some of that easing. But you know, I think one of the things, especially that people see, is you know because we have such a high tax rate on our products. So Massachusetts is a 20% tax rate on the cost of goods on the recreational side. People see the tax dollars that go into these communities and municipalities. And it's not, you know, it's not terribly difficult to do the math to see, you know, what the actual profits are for for companies in the cannabis space. Mm -hmm. So, um, but people see these numbers and they say, wow, these guys must be rolling in it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, there's a lot of nuance that goes on behind the scenes. Well, and, yeah. So let's talk about that startup cost. So yeah. walk me through like what it's like to start a weed business because, you know, I'm sure everybody's like, oh, you get the license and you get the place and then there's a line out the door for miles. Yeah. You know, I'll speak to it at a very high level. I think if you, you know, the ones who really know it the best are our founders who obviously mm-hmm. have been in this race for the trenches. You know, two and a half years, three years, um, at least in the Massachusetts legal market. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of complexities involved here. So not only are you working with the state government to get your, um, the the legislating body in Massachusetts is called the Cannabis Control Commission. Now they are the governing board who issues the licenses. It's a um, group of individuals who basically review all the applications, they try to um, mitigate the flow of licenses. They try to uh, make sure that we're not oversaturating the market. Um, and they are the ones who officially sign off on cultivation licenses, the, co- the, the license to grow and produce, the manufacturing licenses to produce products, and then the retail licenses. 
Right. And so you're working with them at that level. But to get there, you also have to have with your municipality a community agreement, which basically says we as a community are allowing you to sell recreational or medical cannabis here. Or conversely, saying that we are allowing you to cultivate or grow cannabis here. And so not only are you dealing with the municipality in that regard, but you also have to find the real estate and the location where your operation will be run out of. And so what often happens is you'll, you'll find the real estate location, you'll secure it, you'll start paying rent on it, and then that starts the process of working with the municipality to say, here's a license that we want to apply for, we have the space. So you start paying rent on a building, then you go and you get your license with the municipality, and then you're working with the state to get clearance from the state to get the final license. So those three steps, although they sound very short, you know, you're talking, you know, a year plus. So you're paying down rent on a location. So, you know, that would just be, you know, if you're thinking retail, you know, you've got to get ready for fixtures, you got to build out the space once you get approved. So, you know, there's a long runway of seed costs to get you there. You know, if you're talking a cultivation facility, you're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of infrastructure to build out, um, security. So, you know, yeah. I think again, getting back to this, it's like this is a this is a this is a high investment road to get into market to even start to get cash flow. Which is crazy. So you could potentially rent a space, get a year lease, and then still not get one of these licenses. Yeah. Very yeah. possible. Right. So then that money just goes right down the tube. And then, of course, it has to be good real estate. So it's going to be very expensive, uh, the, the real estate that you buy. And then you go through this licensing process. Hopefully you get one. And then the big thing to help people understand this is that if you don't, if you don't also grow the weed, you're really, really going to cut you know, your legs off. Uh, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's a great point. So if you are just a front-end retail uh, shop, right? Just the know, dispensary. Yeah, just a straight dispensary. Um, you know, you're gonna have to, to open up your doors. So not only are you kind of getting yourself ready, you're having that long runway of capital. Um, but then once you do get the okay, you know, you basically have three days to open your doors. And so right. at that point, once you get approved, you then have to get all your product. Um, and so you're talking, you know, the investment for a full wholesale to really stock your inventory of wholesale is yet another exorbitant expense. Yeah, probably a hundred, ten thousand bucks easily, you know? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think even with that too, the wholesale market is a really competitive market, at least, mm-hmm. you know, using Massachusetts as the case study. We haven't really reached that critical tipping point where supply has met the demand because we are one of the only East Coast uh, uh, markets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the wholesale costs, you know, when you look at a market like a Washington state or a Colorado, where the market is flooded with product, there's downward pressure on the price. We haven't really seen that yet. So the cost of goods are still really high. Right. And so that's why we're actually still above black market rates, um, you know, in, in legal dispensaries for the most part in Massachusetts. So again, yet another expense that, you know, we see dollar signs, but you know there are a lot of other dollar signs floating around on the back end that are you know that have to be met. Yeah, and I think I think this is an interesting conversation because most people that look at this just think it's just straight money and it's it's not an issue. And and it does bring up a couple points that I want to dig into. But let's keep walking down this path. The idea of wholesaling. So now I'm I, instead of me 
buying product from a wholesaler, another grower. I'm going to grow my own stuff. And if, as I understand it, especially being in the Northeast, you can't just really grow it in fields, right? Well, it's funny you bring that up because we, we actually just got, um, we are the only licensed outdoor grow operation in Massachusetts. So we, we actually, in Sheffield, Mass, um, we got our cultivation license this summer. Um, right. But you, you also bring up a really good point too, is that Massachusetts has some of the string, most stringent policies around cannabis testing in the country. Okay. So to be able to, so most all, you know, all cannabis brands in Massachusetts are indoor cultivators, um, which obviously isolates a lot of variables around testing. Mm -hmm. So there are two independent labs in Massachusetts who test all cannabis products, whether it's flower, edible, anything like that. Mm -hmm. And what they're testing for are heavy metals, toxins, um, soil nutrients, anything that might be an adverse um, product uh, for human health. Mm -hmm. And so again, to yield to, to be able to produce a product that meets the standards of testing is actually not easy in and of itself. So it's, you know, the joke is that weed is something that just grows anywhere in any climate and it's, you know, kind of invasive because it's just so resilient. Mm -hmm. That's true. However, when you're fighting mold, spores, fungus, you know, any kind of element that very easily could get a batch rejected, you know, this is a sophisticated operation. Um, you know, the yeah. growers that we have, I mean, these guys are, you know, these guys are, you know, botanical scientists. Um, yeah. Not and, just a bunch of stoners anymore. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and this is the... This With is that the thing handed that, down knowledge that I've been growing for like 30 years, and this is how I know what to do. These guys are have degrees, you know? Yeah. <laughs> No, and we, we actually, you know, we talk a lot about that is that, you know, we are where our company is milled is, is pretty much made of, you know, scientists, engineers, um, and, you know, the kind of people who are, you know, the, the, that you would find in a pharmaceutical lab. I mean, we're not right. anything even near a pharmaceutical lab, but, you know, we also take really great, uh, you know, uh, great care in cultivating a really good end product. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to get into our, our um, facility, our grow operation, our cultivation facility, you know, you're scrubbing down, you're going through air chambers, you know, you have to go through an air shower, you know, as you go between different rooms. And so we take this seriously. And so again, you look at the level of sophistication, that is a high barrier for entry to have the infrastructure to support producing a wholesale product that meets these very high grade standards. So, you know, the good thing is that, yeah, you, are, you know that when you buy cannabis from any Massachusetts dispensary, you are getting a tested product that is free of pesticides and any kind of contaminant that you don't get the same reassurance from, you know, when you go to, you know, your black market dealer and meet in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. um, and that's I've never done such a thing. I, I would <laughs> never do such I, I don't know what you're talking about. The, and <laughs> I, <laughs> right. I think like that's an important thing to just pause on is yeah. that while you're above black market prices, there's none of the hassle. There's no police, uh, you know, uh, one and two, there's no quality control issues. And I think that's the biggest ch change that, you know, even as a very casual uh, marijuana uh, enthusiast over the years uh, have, has seen is that you know, the, the change of the quality and the science behind it has right. just improved dramatically. And, and I wasn't even concerned then of pesticides, herbicides, heavy metals, mold, fungus, any of that stuff.
mm-hmm. you know, and now to have an entire team of experts ensuring that that's the way it, it, it is with regulations to back it, to give actual teeth, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and I also just want to balance that too, where it's like, you know, well, while we do go through this very stringent process, like we also are super passionate cannabis lovers who, mm-hmm. you know, the other side of this coin is that we're looking at really unique genetics. We are looking at, you know, we're trying to find the best flower that we can possibly find. Um, you know, we are, you know, when you go into this facility, you know, you see these plants. I mean, these are some of the happiest plants you can possibly see. I mean, we were giving them the perfect conditions to thrive in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, that in and of itself is the reason why I think, you know, our company does a really great job of producing flour. Flour is the heart of our business. I mean, everything comes from the quality of our flour. Mm-hmm. And our flour is some of the best, I would say, without a doubt, in the state. Um, and when you go into the facility, it's, yeah, I mean, it is an environment that is highly controlled, but we also have so much care for these plants and we don't use any automation. We do hand trimming. You know, mm-hmm. every plant gets looked at every single day from our cultivation team. Right. So we see if some, if one of the plants is maybe struggling, we give it a little bit of extra love. We give it a little bit of extra care mm-hmm. and that end product, you know, we are not, you know, Theory Wellness is a small batch craft cannabis company. You know, we're not growing, we're not, ag, you know, aggressively growing large batches. We're keeping them really small and making sure that a quality comes through that yeah. you might not otherwise get from people who are doing these massive warehouse sized grows. Right. Yeah, so you have to you have to have like some sort of warehouse or control operation for turning something into from a plant into you know whatever else end product you're making. So that that cost is gigantic as well. And what are other costs that maybe people don't think of when you're starting a uh, dispensary that add to this um, this misconception around the profitability of early cannabis startups? Yeah, I mean, you know, so our marketing costs, so, you know, we can't write off our marketing costs. Um, yeah. You know, you're talking, you know, I think when you look at the runway, so our Chicopee, you know, using an example, we're opening a new store in Chicopee, you know, later on this fall, sometime in November. Mm-hmm. You know, I joined Theory Wellness in July of 2018. Um, mm-hmm. One of my first projects was working on drafting marketing plans for how we would approach the market of Chicopee. You know, and this was in 2019, we didn't get our approval until, or 2018 rather, we didn't get our approval until July of 2019. Right. So, you know, you're talking a runway that goes on and that's not including the cost for the interior design, the logistics, the coordination. And so, you know, I mean, this is a, this is something that becomes challenging. And then you're also looking at an industry that is emerging. We're trying to hire and fill a retail team. You know, one of the challenges can be is that, you know, you, you have a general idea of when you're going to open, but you know, don't know the exact date. And yeah. so you have people who are waiting to kind of jo- come join your team, but you don't have a start date for them because you don't know when they're actually going to come, when you're going to get an approval. Yeah. And so, you know, I think everything from, you know, from the, you know, obviously Massachusetts started as a medical state that paved the way for the recreational sales. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, this is a, this, this whole market is filled with unknowns. Mm -hmm. And so even from banking, you know. Yeah, let's talk, let's get into that, I guess. So like one of the, let's first talk about security though. So security is probably a huge cost for you guys. I think you mentioned that, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to have cameras, you know, we have to have cameras covering every single inch of our facility. 
And so what that, I mean, I think this was something for me that I was like, wow, like this actually is a really, this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. But having, you know, security cameras cover every corner of your facility, whether it's a retail or um, a cultivation site, mm -hmm. that is a lot of cameras. These are, we're talking, these are, you know, a couple of thousand square feet facilities that also have to have a running, a, a running backup of, you know, three days worth of footage should any adverse incidents occur. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that alone is a lot of, of capital. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And then you also have to have those plans laid out before you even, you know, when you submit your application, you have to say, here's my plan. Here's the blueprint of how it's going to look. So, I mean, that alone is crazy. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and then obviously, yes, levels of security. I mean, we have to be super secure because these are, you know, these are high value products. Mm -hmm. um, and so we take a lot of different measures from, you know, getting people, we have to get every employee approved by the Cannabis Control Commission. So, you know, let's just say somebody works at a retail operation and they are a frontline, um, front of house, bud tender, cannabis consultant. They have to get approved by the state. You know, each person getting approved costs X amount of dollars. When you start hitting, you know, over 150 employees, which is where we're at now, mm -hmm. you know, the cost to re-up these licenses, those really are become a really big cost too. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, again, I mean, I think there are financial, there are financial restrictions all throughout, no matter what you're looking at, there are huge restrictions um, from a capital standpoint that make it really prohibitive. Yeah. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, not all cannabis companies are going to survive that. No, no, that like there's definitely going to be a rush to the market. Lots of little guys that are backed by crazy money because there's a lot of that floating around too. The big discrepancy between us normal people and and the rich is pretty big. So you're gonna have a lot of like kind of immature people entering the market along with more like professionals, and then those guys will either fall out or get eaten up pretty quickly. Yeah, very much so. And that's usually what happens too. So when you look at a Colorado market, you know a lot of these big multi-state holding companies have come in and bought, you know, it's a game of licenses. Yeah. So they'll come in and they'll say, Hey, we'll buy you out and you know, we'll clear you guys of debt and boom, you know, we'll own your license and then you guys will cease to exist. Um, and we see it, we're starting to see that in the Massachusetts market as well. Yeah. Um, we are one of the, you know, we are one of the very few, and I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but we are one of the very few independently owned and operated cannabis brands in Massachusetts. Mm. Um, in the last year, I've seen probably three to five competitors get bought by holding companies or private equity firms, um, which again is, is awesome. It's awesome in certain ways, but it's also, it restricts the free market where yeah. the cost for entry is so high, you know, signing deals with these big companies who can make it easier. But what does that really do to the market? You know, do you start to, how does that affect the longevity of this? When I look at, you know, the beer market, you know, when you see for a long time, craft breweries had a hard time surviving because of these, these you know, these big domestic brewing companies. So I think what we look at is for us to maintain our independence, we are really excited about where does craft cannabis have a role in this emerging market where there is a lot of money and yeah. there is a lot of buying and selling of licenses. Mm -hmm. And so what does the future hold for, you know, a recreational market like Massachusetts? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that we get most excited about too. Right. 
yeah, I want to touch on that, but let's keep walking through this yeah. whole piece just to help people understand the journey. Um, banking, let's talk about that. I've heard stories about what goes on in other states. I want to know, uh, <laughs> how is that handled here? What, what are we doing? Well, so that's a really great question. Um, and frankly, I might not have the greatest answers for you on this because mm -hmm. I think this is where there are a lot of different strategies. And I think this is where some companies have more of an advantage over others. You know, there is some limited banking that we are able to do with a bank in Massachusetts, but obviously the FDIC and the NCUA, um, neither of which are supposed to work with cannabis brands. Mm -hmm. And so some banks will work at risk with a cannabis brand, mm -hmm. but only to a point where they're not taking on so much financial risk that it makes it not worth it for them. Mm -hmm. So um, that's one part of it. Yeah. There's also, you know, this is a cash heavy business. Yeah. I don't know enough about where cash is stored or any of that stuff. Um, but I do know that a lot of, you know, using our company as a case study, mm -hmm. all of that or majority of that money that we do, those, those profit margins, that positive cash flow we do have, a lot of that gets reinvested back into the company for us to grow and yeah. to increase our footprint. So I guess I can divest some information here. So I know uh, people in the Colorado space and actually in the Canadian space, and they have to buy storage units to store their cash. And they have to have <laughs> armed security guards to monitor and watch the cash because there's no possible way for them to get it into a bank. And mm -hmm. so they have literally uh, bought like, you know, guardian self-storage type facilities and put all of their cash and stacks in there, which is pretty phenomenal to me. Yeah, it's like Breaking Bad in real life when they go to their storage unit and it's a block of cash. Um, <laughs> truthfully, you know, and that's something that, you know, when you look at the fact that we can't accept credit cards, you know, we mm -hmm. process debit cards as a ATM withdrawal. Yeah. You know, there is some way that we can find some balance between cash as well as having, you know, digital cash. But mm -hmm. at the same time, um, it's really tough because, you know, when you're doing a thousand transactions a day and seeing some really high volume, you know, the bank will take X amount, but that's not nearly even close to the amount that's coming in. Mm -hmm. and so, you know, I know that from what we do is that we are aggressively growing and expanding our operation. And so a lot of that mm -hmm. cash doesn't sit around. It goes right. It gets burned up pretty quickly, right? Exactly. Yeah. You can make a side ATM business where you just have own every ATM in Massachusetts <laughs> and just fill it with cash. That's actually and, brilliant, Neil. Yeah. And then you can clean the money. I mean, come on. Have you guys, you guys have to watch Ozark, you know? <laughs> uh, great show, actually. That's a, I, that's a, I'll flag that one with my CEO. I'll make sure to pass that along. All right. So let's talk about, um, I actually want to touch on what you were saying about the future. Yeah. And it probably makes sense to kind of tie this all together. But so all of these costs, all of this stuff is really groundbreaking stuff. This is new to market. This is uh, nobody knows what they're doing. So everybody's just doing this and it's costing a ton of money. How long till the costs decrease? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, you know, we, we joke about, the Massachusetts market and legal markets becoming a race to the bottom. Yes. And this is something that we are so conscious of um, as an organization. Um, and it's a matter of time. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the biggest complaints our customers have, you know, one is the line waiting outside of the dispensary. Yep. Mm -hmm. The second thing though is why is everything so expensive? 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, we obviously can't go into the details of why everything costs the way that it does. Yeah. However, more competition coming into market is going to be, you know, in certain ways, much better for the market because people have more buying options. Mm-hmm. Um, quality will start to have more of a discernible um, identity in terms of pro- the type of products you can get, the ability for growers. And so, you know, I would say probably, you know, you start, if you were to do some research, you can see who's getting cultivation licenses. You can see the scale at which these cultivation, cultivation licenses are being um, drafted for. Um, you know, I would say probably in the next year, you're going to start to see that downward pressure on pricing. Mm-hmm. And again, here's the thing is people are seeing the numbers now and saying, wow, there's such an opportunity here. But by the mm-hmm. time they get into market, the cost of goods goes down, your profit yeah. margins are going to go down too. And so that's a really scary thing. Um, it's a super scary thing. That's why everybody's like, you need to get into weed. Everybody's like, Neil and weed is a perfect match. Because I have like some authority <laughs> here. Like people trust me and my nonsense. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. Even CBD and that whole nightmare. Yeah, you could you could grow CBD and you get like 500 bucks a plant or something like that. Whereas like with tea, you get like $8 a plant. But for how long? How yeah. many, there's 280 growers of hemp right now in New York licensed. You know? Yeah, totally. And let's not forget too that in Massachusetts, you can grow up to six plants per, per person, 12 plants per household. Right. So, you That's know. Pretty phenomenal. So then that whole pressure of just like grow your own is yeah. going to completely change the game for you. I mean, so the question I guess is how much does it matter being first to market if you're not going to go for that buyout? That yeah. I think it depends on what you want out of your business. Right. Um, well. I think that really, that really depends. Like, so for us, you know, theory wellness, we, we pride ourselves on, yeah, we are one of the first to market, which was great. We were the sixth dispensary to open uh, recreationally in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, the first in the Berkshires, which was awesome. Um, I'm from the Berkshires. So being able to be a part of this has been wild at the same time though, you know, where we see opportunity is how do we start to define the modern cannabis experience and help people develop discerning tastes around cannabis consumption. And one of the things that we talk a lot about is where does cannabis meet you in your journey? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, trying to find products that meet you at where you want, what you want out of life. Mm -hmm. And so we want to take that model and that, that small kind of personal experience and bring that to a broader market, knowing that a lot of the market is going to be dominated by these massive, massive companies. Right. And so we kind of like, we see, you know, over time, maintaining the integrity of a small company that is privately owned, that has the, the flexibility to really be a market leader. So mm-hmm. that's for us. Right. You know, when you talk so you guys to, are like, I want to be an independent bookstore is what you're yeah, saying. Exactly. I want, you get your coffee or weed and you can, you can read a book if you can even focus. I get stuck in a time warp and I just don't know what, <laughs> what's today, yesterday, who said what. I don't know where the conversation's going. So yeah. yeah. Have you tried audiobooks, Neil? Because that's honestly, that actually helped me get over. I have the same thing when I use really? cannabis. Like I can't mm-hmm. read a book, but if I <laughs> listen to it, you know, if it's a good narrative, like I can't listen to like a history of World War II, but I can mm-hmm. listen to a much better, like a, a narrative journey of, you know, some type of fiction novel. So that's just, pretty. I'm going to float that your way. But All right. Um, I appreciate that uh, insight. But you know what? The, the uh, life-saving thing for me is the strain called Goji OG. Oh, and yes. Yeah. It was just introduced to that. And the, again, marijuana today is so different. You'd have to have like 
a joint or two before like it would really register. And this thing, it's like one or two pulls and it just puts you in this nice little space. For sure. You know, and uh, and that I feel like I can kind of track conversations a little bit more aggressively. No, uh, and Goji's actually, that that strain was the first cartridge. So that was a strain uh, Theory had produced, um, had, had been previously producing. Um, and that was one of the first cartridges that I got from Theory Wellness. Um, so I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Um, that's that is how, a great that's how I got exposed to it from Theory Wellness. So yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and that's that's a great thing because I think actually what you're what you're getting at too is that you know I think as as people start to have a familiarity with a legal market and have the opportunity for choice and to understand the nuance of strains and genetics and seeing how they all intertwine, what really excites me is figuring out depending on what you want to get out of an experience pairing a person with that kind of strain. Right. I totally see what exactly what you're saying. And the idea of an independent bookstore is very, very on point and on brand for what you're building. The idea of like saying, okay, so what is it that you're interested in? What are you trying to do? Like you had mentioned in our pre-interview about pairing your weed to a, a, a food experience. And we yeah. just had a chef on, we were talking about cooking with weed. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's talk about yeah. that, that information. So I like the idea that we're, we're, crafting a personal experience. We have all these different strains to choose yeah. from and all, all the different effects that can happen from them. So now let's talk about that around food because I believe yeah. that pot and like tea and wine are basically the same kind of thing. Totally. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is what gets me the most excited about the cannabis industry. So mm -hmm. you know, when you look at people buying from the black market, you pretty much got what you got and that was mm -hmm. it. So now stuff. we're yeah, and you just you get what you get, and like that's it. And it's like whether whether it's great or not, you just kind of you don't know anything about it. So now, what really excites me is starting to understand exactly what you're getting in terms of cannabis strain. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're moving into this realm where you know we take a lot of time with each customer who comes through to help them find the cannabis based on what their needs are. So, for instance, I you know I don't like thing I don't like cannabis that is, you know, too cerebral, that gets my mind running too fast and can be something called racy. I like something that's like a little bit more balanced, a little bit lighter. Um, and so, you know, when you, when I, when we have like a dinner party, and this is what I was mentioning before, um, you know, my friends know I love cannabis, you know, they know I'm in the industry. And so I think they always kind of have this, oh, I wonder what he's going to break out. I wonder what he's thinking, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I'll literally think through that if we're going to have dinner and we're going to serve a brisket um, and we're going to be serving red wine, you know, I'll be thinking like, okay, I'll have friends coming over. Some of them use cannabis, some of them don't. So I want to start with something really light, something that's going to be a little bit more uplifting, that's going to make people a little bit more chatty, but also not be racy and cause any anxiety. So, you know, I'll look for something that is, you know, as we're hanging out, something that's maybe a little bit more fruity that has a little bit more, um, more of a sativa with a little bit more of a CBD content. So the CBD balances out the THC with a little bit more of that anti-anxiety, that relaxation with that, you know, the uplift, the euphoric uplift of a sativa and, you know, and I'll make sure that that gets paired with a cocktail. So as people kind of warming up, you know, you start there and then, you know, maybe right before dinner, break something out that's going to be like a real appetite stimulant that's going to make that brisket really sing when you sit down to it. And then, you know, after or during the meal, break out something that's an indica that's maybe a little bit more fruity and punchy to go with the wine and also to kind of just bring down the vibe before dessert. 
And so, you know, we're now at a level where when we are buying, you know, genetics, we're looking at all the stuff and the, the proposed impacts of these strains based on the genetics to really feel, okay, there is literally a strain for every moment. And not unlike a sommelier, this is the way that the cannabis industry is really evolving. It is hilarious people, and insane and, it's hilarious and, and insane. <laughs> and, and it's just awesome too. Like just to listen to you say all of this stuff. I'm thinking to myself, like fruity notes, like how long between before it's a paint and sip and like and smoke pot. You know those those stupid parties that uh, everybody paints something as they're drinking wine. Like that was a big trend a while ago. It's gonna be like a uh, like a, a brush and bong. Yeah, <laughs> like no, a, actually, a like, paint sip and rip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, know, you, you joke about this. This this exists. Like this is a thing that already happens in Boston. Like this is already an org. There is already an organization who's doing this. Are you kidding me that they're doing like paint and sip parties with marijuana? Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. No, and it's and but you know again like you know I think. <laughs> You know, it's funny because your reaction of like, wow, this is like, you know, it's crazy to hear this, but you know, this is a, this is, this is the future. I mean, this yeah. is, this sounds crazy now, but in, you know, five years, I mean, that's not gonna, that's, it's not going to be so crazy. Right. And what, what is really fun is that, you know, for me, so I, my cannabis, my relationship with cannabis has changed drastically since working mm -hmm. in the cannabis industry because you know, I was like, oh, I can handle any kind of strain and, you know, I'll <laughs> smoke the strongest stuff. And, you know, I actually joke with customers, you know, when I meet a first time customer and they're like, I want the strongest stuff. I always use the analogy of on your 21st birthday, if you mm -hmm. go to the bar on your 21st birthday and you say, I want three shots of Jack Daniels, like you're probably going to have a bad time. Right. If you go to a dispensary your first time and you say, I just want the strongest stuff and you go and you use it, you know, there's a chance you're going to have a bad time. Right. And so what, what we really want to do is, again, part of our philosophy is we want to educate a consumer to help them develop their own personal profile of what kind of cannabis they like. It's the same thing with like people who like wine. You know, figure out what kind of terroir you really enjoy, what type of, you know, what type of blend you're interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, you know, I, I actually, one of the things that I've learned recently is that I'm much more into the one-to-one -one products, the CBD and THC, because THC is so strong these days, you know, you're mm -hmm. talking plants that test at 34% THC, Wow. you know, back 30 years ago, you know, yeah, you're, no. you're looking at strains that test at seven to 12% THC yeah. with, you know, five to 10% CBD. Yeah. And so where where you know where i think i get very excited about is you know i like to mix a you know a cbd heavy strain with a thc heavy strain because i want to balance does that affect the taste 100 mm percent -hmm. but i also know that i like to have that balance i like to have the control um and most of my cannabis consumption is you know is is secondary to whatever the activity is whether it's hiking or fly fishing or running or, you know, right. the rare occasion that I'm sitting on my couch with my wife and we have a very heavy indica only and are about to enjoy, you know, a, a, a flick or something like that. Right. And so this is where we're, this is where we're headed and this is where that's we want nuts. to get out in front of it. No, I yeah. think, I think that's a smart, that's a smart move. And I think you're right. Uh, the, that, that kind of customized experience is important. And what's even more important is helping people who have never consumed marijuana get over the hurdles. It's kind of like getting somebody into the gym for the first time. They feel like everybody's <laughs> going to be staring at them. You don't want to use the equipment <laughs> wrong. So how can we help people, uh, especially people that may have missed the hippie 
movement, but are of, of that age in their 70s and 80s that want to try it for the first time or visit a dispensary. So how do we how do we help these people their first experience? What myths and misinformation can we um, dispel here? Yeah. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, this is a controlled substance, right? Mm -hmm. So treat it like it. You know, this is not just a, you know, there are rules and there are policies in place for a reason. Mm -hmm. Responsible consumption, first and foremost, is the most important thing to consider when using cannabis. Mm -hmm. I think second to that, too, is, you know, if you, you should be using cannabis for some kind of reason or a resource, right? So it's like getting drunk for the sake of getting drunk. Like, you shouldn't do that. Like, you yeah. should, for a reason, have it be a piece of whatever you know, the activity is you're doing. You drive better, you know, you're a better teacher, you know. <laughs> That yeah. kind of stuff, important things like that. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So, you know, for people who are maybe wanting to try this, there are two basic schools of thought here, right? There's the medical side. You can't sleep. You have back issues. You have arthritis. You have all these things. There's probably a way that cannabis might be able to help you. Mm -hmm. Or there's the recreational side, which is, man, I just want to try this. This sounds like it's fun. Everybody seems to be into it. And so I think the first step is always know what you're really looking for. When you go to a dispensary, a good dispensary will ask the right questions to help you find the products that you should start with. Mm -hmm. So for us, when we train our cannabis consultants, we kind of have a walkthrough. Have you used cannabis previously? If so, what did you try? Is there a way, preferred method that you're interested in giving a shot with? And then, you know, again, what are you expecting to feel? Are you going to, are you looking for something that's going to make mowing your lawn more fun? Or are you looking for something that is going to help, you know, you're having a dinner party and you're looking for something that's going to lighten the mood up a little bit. And so I think that's the first step is to really know what, what do you really want to use it for? Mm -hmm. Um, so we always try to kind of pair whatever, using kind of letting the customer lead us in what mm -hmm. their intent is. We try to find products that meet them there. Well, where can people get information? Like, again, this is an, uh, an intimidating even thought process. Like, it's great that you guys have consultants that will kind of like work with you and such, but there's still the pressure. So, so yeah. what, if I'm, what if I'm 60 and I just want to get high for the first time, right? And I yeah. just want to feel what that's like. Like, um, is there like a resource that I can say, okay, these are the kinds of things. Like, I just said Goji Oji. So I would hope somebody would look at that, that strain and, and try it out, <laughs> you know? But like, yeah. is, there, is there like a collective uh, bit of information? Do you guys create like an experience out of the store online? Do you do anything like that? or? So we talk a lot about that. The problem is, is that everybody responds differently. Um, yeah. So mm -hmm. it's really hard to say there's a one size fits all model. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in general, I always say, if you haven't used cannabis before, look mm -hmm. at something that has a lower THC content, mm -hmm. always start really low and go slow. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, edibles is a great case study where it's like people eat a little bit and they're like, Oh, I don't feel anything. I'm going to yeah. eat more. And it's like, yep. no, you shouldn't do that. Actually. Edibles. Like, some comedians said edibles start working once you start talking smack about them. As, yeah. soon as, as soon as you're like, this isn't working. <laughs> boom. It just hits you really hard, you know? Totally. Yeah. And you know, everybody's, and you have to realize too, is that everybody's body's types are different. So the way mm -hmm. that you metabol you metabolize cannabis varies you know, significantly on your body type. So THC is fat soluble. Mm -hmm. So depending on how quickly your metabolism moves, you might be impacted differently. Mm -hmm. And there are things called terpenes, which is, this is a little bit of a rabbit hole, but terpenes mm -hmm. are basically what gives you the, the, the taste, yep. um, the bud structure, the, the essential aromatic. oils. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like this is the stuff that really, you know, if, if THC and CBD is the structure of your house, 
-hmm. you know, terpenes are the interior design of each room. Right. Um, and so, you know, terpenes affect people differently. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I think these are, there are a lot of variables that go into play, but a very easy way to start is start with, you know, I always say with people who who don't really know, they don't want to smoke, but they want to enjoy the flower. Mm -hmm. Always start with a vaporizer, go with a vaporizer, Mm -hmm. take a puff or two, wait 15 minutes, see how you feel and then dose accordingly. I'm very much about control, and especially for people who need to, who want to have control with something they haven't done before. You know, you can always do more, but you can't do less. And that's yeah. you know, a, a guiding principle of cannabis consumption that we always try to make sure that any customer knows coming to theory. Yeah, one deep rip, wait 15 minutes, and then uh, and <laughs> yeah. then see how you're, how you're doing. The... Um, you know, you guys also could do like uh, this strain, this snack, this album, and like have a nice little trifecta of an experience. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's Neil. So it's so funny. You know, I actually, you know, I, I, one of my favorite things is, you know, I have, I do a lot of creative work for the company, and um, yeah. you know, like I actually have started to pair, you know, certain strains with certain albums. Like, I, it's, <laughs> there's like a, there's a strain that we have called Jilly Bean, which is a you know, it's a low THC uh, strain that was that was created by somebody named MRZ uh, Jill, and she is, you know, she produces a strain that's like really uplifting. That um, is really fun, but it's not like you know. I always describe it as, you know, there's some strains that when you that when you when you consume them, it's like sitting in front of a massive speaker that's playing loud techno. Like it's very <laughs> much fun of mine. This is much more like elevator music, this strain. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I use this stuff and I listen to Miles Davis's kind of blue. Oh, and it's like go. the perfect, it's the perfect relationship. And so um, I actually think a lot about that. Um, and I think you're going to see some stuff coming out from theory in the future about music and cannabis because um, it's certainly trying to find the right balance. Um, you know, and for me, like if I have work to do on a Sunday and I have mm-hmm. a bunch of graphic design work and I kind of want to just in, really enjoy it, mm-hmm. you know, I'll tell you, Jilly, Jilly Bean and, and, uh, you know, Miles Davis, they're a match made in heaven. Right. Like what's a Mumford and strains level song? Uh, you know, it's like, uh, th- just, just, uh, eat some cardboard <laughs> and that's, that's, that, that music. And then you have like these music snobs that are just putting down everybody's selections. Yeah. That, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, all right. Oh, so funny. here we go. So, um, let's talk about the medical side. I think, yeah, I, I think you've helped. I think we have a lot of our, um, our customers now that understand the behind the scenes and hopefully feel a little bit less intimidated about the whole process, knowing that once you get inside, you'll have somebody in there that'll help you and guide you, you know, through yeah, the process. And, there's, so. and you have pretty much, you know, a finite but seemingly infinite uh, amount of different uh, paths that you can take. And um, the but like the medical side. So how much mm-hmm. of that is still a part of this, like in a dispenser operation, like? how much time is focused on that for you guys? Yeah. I mean, it's still a huge part. I mean, medical made us and medical will break us. You know, medical is medical is the reason we're able to do what we do today. Mm -hmm. And so it actually will always be very much in the forefront of what we do. Um, You know, so what we at our store um, medical patients, like they don't have to wait in line, um, you know, and just to clarify too, you know, you have to have a Massachusetts medical card to buy medical cannabis from us. 
a lot of the products are the same between the two menus. The difference really, the most fundamental difference between the two menus is that we are actually able to provide higher doses of THC than we are on the recreational side. Mm -hmm. So for instance, on an edible, you're limited to five milligrams of THC per serving on the recreational side. Mm -hmm. On the medical side, you're looking at upwards to 50 milligrams of THC per serving. That's in Massachusetts because I've had brownies that had a thousand milligrams in them. And like totally. I was in, it was in a coma. I had a drool bag, everything, the whole, oh. the whole scenario. Yeah, that's yeah. brutal. I mm -hmm. would, I, yeah, that would set me back a few days if I did that. Um, but it's true. So in Massachusetts, you know, we have, you know, you have to get a medical card, you have to go to a prescribing physician, you have to have a mass ID. One of the things that actually happens quite a bit is we have New Yorkers um, who have New York medical cards. Unfortunately, there is no reciprocity um, mm. between New York and, and Massachusetts, which is unfortunate. Mm. Yeah, um, this is something that we're, you know, we, we talk a lot about on our end of just the way that that can be a challenge. However, um, our medical business is still really sustaining itself. Um, yeah. If you have a medical card, you don't have to wait in line. You come right in. We have two dedicated stations. Um, and the training is similar, if not maybe a little bit more intensive on the medical side. Most of our medical cannabis consultants are people who have been with the company for a little bit longer. They have much more of a history with the products, the efficacy. You know, and I will say a caveat with all of this is that, you know, cannabis until very recently hasn't been studied at a medical level. And yeah. so well, we're trying yeah. to yeah, and so we're trying to make, you know, we're trying to make recommendations based on, you know, what we know from the growers, from the genetics, from, um, you know, and, and honestly, word of mouth, too. And so, um, you know, we, we try to make sure that with all of our medical patients that they're getting the best products. Um, and I see this, too. You know, one of my first weeks working at Theory, this is a great little, you know, anecdote, is that, you know, this, this very sweet 85-year-old woman came in and she had been a theory patient for, you know, since we had opened and mm -hmm. cannabis became the thing that really helped her fall asleep at night. She had yeah. having sleep issues and, you know, and, and she was asking, you know, I think there was a strain called like Pennywise or something like that. And she said, you know, I really, I, do you guys have more of these cartridges? Like this is the only thing that helps. And we're like, you know, unfortunately we don't have it as a cartridge right now, but we have the flower and it was like, it was if she had, you know, got a really bad taste in her mouth because she just scrunched up her face and she's like, what do you mean? And we're like, well, we, we have it as a flower. Like you can purchase it, you know, you can smoke it as a, you know, in a, in a pipe or as a, as Razor. a pre-roll. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, are you talking about a marijuana cigarette? And we were like, <laughs> yes, ma'am. Like, that's exactly mm -hmm. what we're talking about. Right. And she was like, I don't do marijuana cigarettes. Like, we're like, mm. ma'am, like, let's yeah. just show you the jar. We bring the mm -hmm. jar out to her. She looks at it and she goes, that smells wonderful. She's like, <laughs> Can I buy some and leave it in my, put it in my living room for people to smell it? <laughs> like, you can. Yeah. If you want to make it potpourri, like by all means. <laughs> Um, but I mean, long story short is that this was a great, you know, an instance where this woman found something that really worked for her. She really relied on it and it was the one thing that was helping her find sleep. And so, mm -hmm. you know, again, we see this a lot, especially with this destigmatizing of cannabis products. And one of the, one of the fastest growing groups on our recreational side were, are, um, people who are over the age of 65. Yeah. Um, 
And so medical will always be a huge piece of what we do. And there was a lot of uh, like medical providers that switched to recreational. Like how many of the licensees were medical first? Probably a really high, high portion of them. Yeah, got it. Um, because it kind of grandfathered in in certain ways where, yeah. you know, if you were doing a really good job with your medical business and you already had the infrastructure, your path to market is much quicker than somebody who was going for a license who had no infrastructure. Right. And so, um, you know, that worked really well for us. Um, but, you know, I will say for people who are coming to buy recreationally at our store, we'll still treat you the same way we will treat a medical patient. Like if mm -hmm. you come in and you say you have arthritis, you know, we'll try to find products that we have on our recreational menu that will help treat that. And so right. it's not just, you know, recreational is not just for the people looking to have fun. Mm -hmm. We still see a lot of New York state folks who have PTSD, who have, um, you know, who have different types of cancer, you know, who are looking for treatment mitigation. Um, so, you know, we're pretty open about it and the medical business will always be a very important part of cannabis. Right. Well, I think we, we've covered a lot. We've given people a good view behind the curtain. Let's give one last myth a, uh, a run here. Um, the myth that almost all of your customers are from Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely not the case. Um, <laughs> you know, and again, when you are, you know, we are the, when we opened, we were the first in the Berkshires. You know, we use, we use the analogy that, you know, if there was one liquor store in, you know, Berkshire County and there's none in New York, obviously there would be a line for that too. Yeah. And so, um, you know, for us, regardless of where you're coming from, um, we believe that cannabis should be available for everyone. Mm -hmm. Part of our company's goal is that we help bring cannabis to a larger market. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, obviously there's, there is some challenges within that. The thing is, is that when people come there and they buy cannabis, when they leave our property, it's, you know, it's on their own, you know, it's on their own terms and they're making their own decisions. Right. Um, but we believe that, you know, when, when New York state did not pass legalization, we actually thought that was really disappointing. Yeah. Um, obviously that would hit us, but at the same time too, cannabis is something that we all got into the business because we believe in cannabis and we believe in providing accessibility to a legal market. Um, and I think you can look at these, um, if, when you look at the, what's happening currently now with vaporizers and you're seeing people getting really sick, these are unregulated products. Right. We believe that we should take this product that has been cast aside into the darkness and bring it into the light, regulate it and make it healthier for people and provide education around it. Right. Super simple. Very simple. And let's just give everybody a geography lesson just so we know. So I'm here in Woodstock, which is like 20, 30 miles from the Massachusetts border. How far are you from the Massachusetts border, your, your locations? 15 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, there are probably lots of people with New York State driver's license that uh, uh, comprise your uh, clientele, whether they stay there and smoke it or drive somewhere else and, and do whatever at their own risk. But that's probably a big number, I'd imagine. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Awesome. But, you know, it's awesome for us. And, you know, we're, we're super happy that people seem to like our products and that we're providing an experience that is educational. And, you know, the lines can look long, but they take a long time at sometimes because we want to be very thorough about our consultations with people who are purchasing. So, um, you know, I'd welcome anybody to come through and, and take that shot. 
Yeah, maybe maybe I can get a fast pass for doing this this podcast. I don't know. Like yeah. you, you should start selling those like Disneyland does. I mean, <laughs> we honestly no way, man. That would be so that would be so dishonest. But uh, oh, totally yeah. <laughs> offline next time you come through here. <laughs> yeah, no problem. But all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and discussing uh, the myths and misinformation around starting and running a dispensary. It's been a pleasure having a conversation with you. All right. I appreciate it, Neil. And thanks for your time. And uh, yeah, seriously, do let me know next time you come through. Oh, definitely. We'll get some goji OG together. Have a good conversation. <laughs> I, I dig it. I've always said that businesses that deal with vices must be so much easier than what I do, like selling coffee and ice cream and cookies and drugs, of course, we would think would be an easy sell. And so, yeah, the lines are wrapped around the block at this dispensary, but the business has layers of complexity that most of us outside the industry weren't really aware of, at least I wasn't until I had this pretty detailed conversation with Thomas. And one thing to know is that these intros and outros, this part of me kind of yabbering on here, I, I do after the interview and I just touch base with Thomas. And as of yesterday, the governor of Massachusetts has outlawed all vaporizers. And Thomas is like, I don't even know what we're going to do. I'm going to be up all night. And that's a pretty wild change, and it's probably going to rock the industry. So I want you guys out there to look to Thomas and Theory Wellness for the latest on this massive change. And we can look at this next obstacle in the way of the marijuana industry and how everything's going to shake out. So visit theorywellness.org, T-H-E-O-R-Y, wellness.org. And if you're traveling through Massachusetts, stop by and let them know you heard about them on The Big Mouth Pharmacist. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and be well.